Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home, those, those, those boys. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good lad. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. <laughs> second captain, first captain, whatever. If you're a highly recognisable sports person and you inform your club that you can't turn up for your big European semi-final because you have to fly home to attend to a family issue, it's probably best to go home and attend to a family issue rather than, oh, I don't know, going to Las Vegas to party with Zlatan Ibrahimovic, for example. You're very welcome to the Irish Times Second Captain's Podcast with Owen Murph and a confused-looking Ken. I think Murph knows the story already. I don't think Ken does. Do you know mm. it? Oh, I do. Don't Can, worry. Do you want to identify the sports person in question? <laughs> so, uh, Martin Castro Giovanni. The unmistakably hairy yep. racing he's prop. Mas- uh, Martin Castro Giovanni. Martin Castro Giovanni. He, uh, so, he's, he's an extremely distinctive looking person. If you saw Martin Castro Giovanni once, you'd probably remember what he looks like. Yeah. Uh, obviously, plays for Racing Metro, based in Paris. I don't know. Maybe professional sports people have a... You know, a gentleman's club or something, or a, a, some form of some society where they all hang out together. Where they all yeah, hang out together, enjoy wine. Either way, uh, Castro has become friendly with Zlatan and some PSG, uh, some other PSG players. The PSG players are going to Las Vegas. Why? Uh, well, for a couple of days. Yeah, to be uh, rewarded for their league triumph. Apparently, oh, okay, right. Yeah, they were given the time off. Martin had loved to come along. Castro would love to come along, but <laughs> oh, you okay. know it's really awkward. When I'm working this cla- weekend. There's a clash in your diary, and yeah. there's a European Champions Cup semi-final on, and I should probably show up for it. I suppose was he? He's not injured or anything. No, no, no. He had to go home to Argentina to to. He literally. To by the way, he is a match. Skipped a European semi-final. There's a chance he may be injured. That's not clear, but he was still required for duty. Very much. I'm assuming he wasn't in the squad. You know how they rotate those squads, but he was. It, he was required I mean the, the club had made that very clear by the way he was born in Argentina just for those of you like myself until I read the story who thought oh wait a second he's, he's Italian uh, 119 caps for Italy but from Argentina originally sorry yeah. Murph go on so uh, yeah I mean <laughs> it, was, it was just one of those awkward things you know where That's I am incredible. busy but I'd like to do that fun thing yeah. so in the end he blew off work you know he just said screw it you know yeah. I, I, you know, I, I just I, I want to live my life yeah. So he went to Las Vegas and like obviously, <laughs> I mean it couldn't be more obvious that someone's going to take a photograph at oh, one of these. Would you like to see the photograph? Yeah, yeah. Here you are. I'm sorry, bashing the thing off the microphone here. Is it? That's him there. That's Casper Fat Batman with no top on. Yeah. Well, f- Fat Ken, he's, he's, he's a rugby a prop. prop. He's he's in good His shape. His body for a rugby shape prop. is exactly what it needs to be. That's uh, Zlatan. That's uh, unidentified teammates of Zlatan's. <laughs> and <laughs> scantily clad ladies all around the place. It seems to be some sort of pool. But yeah. Vegas isn't even that good. It definitely wasn't worth it. There's a bunch of the photos all together. Well, maybe, a series of photographs. Maybe it's, Vegas is a little better, you know, it's... Oh, you mean a at little the better, level? Yeah, when you've got the amount of money that Zlatan has. Well, maybe he's having a better time than you on that, you know... Ride. I remember yeah. someone telling me about uh, seeing a Premier League footballer in, in Las Vegas... Should I even? It was Stephen Ireland. <laughs> Stephen, Stephen Ireland sitting in Las Vegas. Yeah. Uh, with a couple of, I'm sure it was during the summer. You know, he's yeah. he's entitled to. Of course. Uh, and all all he apparently was doing was just sitting at this bar with you know like a couple of bottles of like the Grey Goose. Mm. Um, with the finest for 
a lot. Oh, just nothing but the most expensive, anyway. <laughs> um, just a couple of bottles of Grey Goose on the table, and just literally a bunch of lads sitting there, just looking around. And absolutely not talking nothing, to each other. Nothing happening. So doing what a bunch of Irish lads might do at home, but rather than pints, it's Grey Goose vodka. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Except, uh, and they. And they it seems to be a lot less cracked than a couple of lads sitting around in a pub in Ireland. To be honest, it they're, seems they're, in that they're not even talking to each other. Because <laughs> you got the you got the disappointment of actually, this isn't what I thought it would be. Just, I just, thought this would be much better. Just six lads. Did you get the, the Wi-Fi password for this place? No. And then at the end, it's the bar, Steve, Stephen Aaron's like, separate checks, please. <laughs> <laughs> I like the statement from the club here in this case, by the way. Uh, following the publication of photographs in the media today, showing Martin Castro Giovanni in the company of Paris Saint-Germain footballers last weekend at a hotel in Las Vegas, while the entire membership of the club was in Nottingham to play a semi-final of the European Cup, Racing 92 has decided to suspend the player and to launch a legal procedure. A not unreasonable statement although the legal procedure maybe is I don't know what they're going well, to do there I'm going to say it, this is probably a breach of someone's contract I mean <laughs> yeah. you know I, I, I think I think we can say that much without without fear I felt very very tiny when I went to meet Kerry footballer Tommy Walsh in late 2014 it wasn't long after his mm. return from Australia he's a big lad he's a big lad and he was essentially relearning Gaelic football at the time hoping to get back into the Kerry team and make a big impact an impact that hasn't materialised today the Irish examiner Broke the news that he's walked away from the panel after getting no game time at all in the league final against Dublin. He played the first couple of league games, didn't he, this year? Yeah, with after two games to Kerry lost. Yeah, Dublin yeah, and Roscommon. Didn't come back, didn't really get much of a look in after that. Didn't make make much of an impression last year either, which surprised me, Murph. I think we were both very excited when he came back. Yeah, and I, well, I can remember sitting down to watch uh, the first couple of league games on TG Cahar last year, specifically on Tommy Walsh watch. Uh, because the guy, w- w- you, you have to remember, in 2008 when he came on the scene first, and 2009 then when he won the All-Ireland, but 2008 he won Young Football of the Year that year, even though Kerry didn't win the All-Ireland. And he was just a, an irrepressible force of nature on a football field because he, he had explosive pace, but he's six foot five, I would say, at least. Uh, like, a fully grown man at that age, even at 19 or 20, and he had this uh, uh, brilliant ability to almost solo a ball over someone's shoulder. So he'd catch the ball and one hand bounce the ball past past the guy that he was just like like mowing over. Yeah, mowing over. And it was just one of these electrifying sights. I mean, he did it in the Iron Final in 2009 against Cork when he should actually have got a goal. But he got the ball about 45 yards out and just said, right, well, I'm like, I'm not stopping until, oh, yeah, I, until yeah. I'm until i 14 yards out here and I have a chance to shoot a goal. And he just was mowing people out of the way. Um, and there was a huge, obviously, sense of loss when he decided to go to Aussie Rules because, you know, Kerry were looking at this guy as, you know, the, the, the guy that they'd build their team around. And so after five years in Australia, he comes back and... Maybe people don't expect him to pick up the game straight away, pick up straight where he left off. But certainly this the idea was that by August of last year, he'd be back up and running and motoring. And Oh, I absolutely he, thought he would be. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I, like, I, I just thought... Especially when I met him. You know, you're thinking, yeah. this guy is a monster yeah. compared to the average skating footballer. Yeah. And I think, as well, say even with... Uh, with uh, when Ty Canelli came back, like, Ty had achieved a lot in Australia. That You know, that the, this everything after this could be, you know, the cherry on top of the icing. You know, if he comes back and wins, wins an Ireland, he's already had this, like, brilliant sporting career in Australia that nothing which happens when playing for Kerry is actually going to affect. He's, like, he's been a top, top sportsman. Tommy Walsh is an amazing physical specimen who has had one real summer of being a superstar in 2009 and after that five years of really struggling in Australia and I thought right when he comes back he's so much to prove to himself like he's so many brilliant occasions that he's missed out on while he was in Australia he hasn't had you know there's there's been nothing feeding that e- the ego that all good sports people have so he must just be like bursting to get out of the traps and it hasn't happened you know it, it just hasn't happened at all and there's been obviously Frustration came to a head when Kerry used six substitutes when getting hammered by Dublin, and Tommy wasn't one of them. So that's, yep. yeah, that's we'll where we are. Talk to Mike Work about that in a second, but just to tee up my. Oh, actually, I felt I'll tee this up by telling him, Murph. I felt tiny once again, maybe even tinier, mm. when I went to meet an Ulster and a Leinster rugby legend yesterday, Stephen Ferris. That's not the same person, by the way. It's two different people. Okay, yeah, yeah. Stephen Ferris, 
and Shane Horgan. Shag Horgan. Mm. That's him, yeah. Uh, Shag Horgan. Yeah, Fez and Shaggy. I went to meet you're, them. You're giving away a few inches talk. there, yeah. You're giving away a few inches and a few pounds there. Yeah, and a few, uh, just a bit of size across the chest. Mm. Uh, yeah. A little bit Two and a half men. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> that just blurted okay. out by the time. Sorry, sorry. Okay. I don't even know. I can't believe it. Well, in, fairness, on, okay. in fairness, Murph had a massive pop at you last week for... What did I say? When, we, when Ken was talking about getting on a flight and being weighed and stuff, you, you, you seem oh, to be getting yeah, a little yeah. bit. I, that, that but I don't know why I'm getting caught in the crossfire here of these personal... Well, no, we're not saying anything. We're, we're just saying that you're... A... Well, no, two and a half men means I'm a, a child. That's what that, certainly that's what that show was based on. Yeah. Were you sitting up on one a of their fat knees child. with your <laughs> microphone <laughs> when you did this? A fat, a fat child. Was I sitting on their knee? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I, sat, I sat on... Actually, sat on Stephen's knee when asking him questions and then transferred to Shane's knee. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. And you, that's Shane, nice. what do you feel about the game? I hope Mark hasn't edited that out now. Yeah. yeah. Come up. Come on up. <laughs> we caught up ahead of uh, Ulster against Lancer this weekend and also... We chatted about the shambles that Munster have made of the Razzie Erasmus announcement as director of rugby. You remember we had Craig Ray on the show on Monday, who told us how great an appointment it is. But as you suggested, Murph, at the time, things were looking pretty bleak for Anthony Foley. And not long after he put the podcast out that same afternoon, the current head coach had to sit there, face the media and answer a bunch of questions about the guy who's coming in over his head and will ultimately decide what role if any, mm. he has next season. I'm going to describe those exchanges as awkward based on the transcripts that the various journalists published. Yeah. He wasn't too happy. Uh, it's, it's an extraordinary uh, mishandling of the situation, you'd have to say, by by Munster. I mean, the, Anthony Foley and CJ Stander and Tommy Donald were brought out for a press conference at 3 o'clock and then the CEO comes out at 4 o'clock to have a press conference about this new guy and he's already he's already given that the, the journalists get the embargo press release yeah. about the and about the new appointment before these guys are wheeled out I wouldn't be too happy if it was CJ Stander either yeah, I mean, being put in a slightly awkward situation there about having to sort of deny that he, he he's been told about this but then I mean, Foley pointing out Fo- yeah. Foley actually saying well I we, myself and the players have actually been told about this so that kind of contradicting and also standard talking about a guy he know or certainly know the reputation of as a South African but sitting beside his current head coach yeah. there's just no way out of that yeah it's, I, for, it's, for anybody it was just awful yeah. I mean I, I don't see why the, the announcement of Erasmus couldn't have happened yesterday. Why, like, why didn't it happen today? Someday where they're not wheeling out three of the most visible and recognisable faces in the organisation. Whatever day that is, don't announce your the, the disappointment on that particular day. Any other day is fine. Just don't put Anthony Foley and CJ Stander in the position that they were put in on, on Monday. Mayall Quirk, Tommy Walsh is walking away from the Kerry panel right before the Munster Championship, which might seem a little bit surprising, although I guess the fact he didn't get any game time against Dublin maybe sealed his fate in his own mind. Were you shocked at all when you heard it? Uh, no, no, not shocked, man. No, I, I actually, he's actually with my club and I, I'm uh, I'm uh, involved in managing that team this year. So um, I probably, well, I didn't have an inside track, but I, I, you know, a lot of people were talking about it down here was you know he, he's just it's it's just it's really sad for himself I suppose it's really disappointing for himself I mean he he left here in 2009 after a huge All-Ireland final kicking four points against Cork and very close to man of the match and he went over to St Kill that didn't work out there he was getting his chance in in uh, Sydney when you know he absolutely just tore his hamstring off the bone literally off the bone and you know they've built him back up and put it back on as best they can, but it's obviously he's you know physically or running wise he's not the same guy as when he left. You know, right? So that's been the biggest issue, the biggest problem. It hasn't been so much having to relearn uh, the game. It's it's really just that the body isn't the same after that bad injury. I, I no, I, I think so. You know, I I think so. I mean. The thing, you know, even if you go back to that Ireland final, he kicked four points, he kicked two off his left, two off his right. For for a big guy, you know, he's got super football, you know, abilities. He's able to sole off both feet, kick off both feet, his great hands. Uh, but his thing that really kind of separated him from other guys his size was was his explosiveness and his power and his ability to just you know get away from guys in a flash and, and I, I'm not saying that's gone to be honest because I haven't really seen enough of him. Nobody's seen enough of him, but I, I'm only guessing that that injury must be the, the the most significant factor in him not being more, you know, after getting more game time this year or even last year, you know. Uh, otherwise, there's no real explanation for it, for for his lack of game time, you know, other than, 
you know, his 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 running ability must have been hampered by that injury. I mean, when you when you think of that injury, that, that injury is the exact same that finished Paul O'Connell's career. If it, it stopped him getting a big payday in France, uh, you know, because he he did a very similar ripping that hamstring off the bone, and and Tommy did the very same thing over there. And you know, I know he's a younger guy than Paul O'Connell was, but it's it's just it's you know it's worse than a cruciate, it's worse than a break, it's worse than anything you could possibly do to your body. So it must take you know I, I'd imagine it must take serious time to recover properly and then to to get your body back moving the way you want it to after you know yeah it's it's interesting because there is an example there there is a precedent for Tommy Walsh I mean if he if he was able to hang in there and if injury if if that injury wasn't you know uh, affecting him to the extent that maybe you're suggesting there I mean the example is there of Kieran Donaghy uh, a guy who Kerry brought on six subs against Galway in the Ireland quarterfinal in 2014. Donahue wasn't mm-hmm. one of them. And yet Donahue was still able to be patient and hang on in there. Maybe it's different, you know, after a league final than it is when you've an All-Ireland semi-final and final maybe to look forward to. But Donahue hung in there, got five minutes at the end of the drawn game against Mayo, made an impact and ended up having two brilliant games in the replay and then in the All-Ireland final. These things can change for for guys with that level of natural ability that Kieran Donaghy has and that Tommy Walsh certainly has as well. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Now, now, what happened to Kieran Donaghy will never happen to any human being ever again in Gaelic football. Like that, <laughs> that, that's just something you 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 know, you go to Disney and you they write up a script and, 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 and someone gives you that script and you say, no, I'm not making a movie. That's not believable enough. Like That will never again happen, Murph, to, to anybody. That, that, that kind of thing was just stars aligning and and you know he picked a winning lottery ticket and and, and it worked out and it was great. Like for Tommy, I, I like I, and I haven't spoke, I haven't really spoke to Tommy about it because, like it's it's you've no idea how mentally, psychologically frustrating and and draining it is when you're in a situation like he was like he found himself. I mean when Tommy came back first last year to, at the start of 2015. Like my opinion was, he should have been left play every club game that he was, you know, that was available to him to just to get his touch back, to get his confidence back, to get the idea of the ball coming at him, the round ball. But he, he it went the other way, and he was kind of just, you know, kept training with Kerry and kept training with Kerry, and then wasn't getting any game time with Kerry, wasn't getting any game time with his club, and then it came to the big games, and and they weren't happy with whatever he was doing, and he wasn't playing a whole pile. So he kind of fell in between two stools, and and um, like since he's come home, he hasn't, you know, he's only played a handful of full games, whether they be club. Or, or, or county games and, and I would have thought at the start particularly when he came home initially he should have been just flooded with football every game available to him it wasn't fitness that was going to catch him I mean he came back like a like a racehorse it, it's 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 like it's ball and then obviously adapting his game now to the injury and to and to the different to the different pace of the ball obviously you know that seems crazy uh, Mike the way you describe it there that makes huge sense to me that you're if you're you, you just play matches. I mean that's how you do it, and yeah. this happens in GA quite a lot. Where you know you if you're if you're number twenty on a GA intercounty panel, that means basically you don't play any football yeah. from one end of the year to the other. But no, the point I was I wanted to make was Not that yeah, the point that I wanted to make was that uh, it seems like members of a GA squad oftentimes are all treated the same. You know, it's like we're all in this mm-hmm. together. We all have to do this training. We all have to. There's not enough leeway necessarily given to individual cases. In, in some, in sometimes I'm talking about maybe uh, work commitments or whatever. I don't know, sorry, I know managers might be listening to this and saying, "Well, we do give people breaks," but it, this is a very special case. It has to be treated differently. He has to be going to play football. It seems weird that he's just slogging it out, doing all the running or whatever it else is that that Kerry were doing at that time. Yeah, like, and again. It wasn't. I, I thought, and look, it's it's easy to be smart after, but I, I just thought at the time, like he's he's after coming from a different game, from a different sport, from from a serious injury where he hadn't played any ball post injury, where he needed to, like he his body obviously needed time to adapt to. Okay, may, maybe maybe I'm not as powerful or as quick as I am over five yards, so I got to adapt my game a little bit now and actually see how can I be as effective without being as quick as I was over five yards. Like he has so much football. I would have just thought that, you know, you give him that opportunity to play games and to figure it out. You know, just just give him time to to play games, even at a county championship level, which is obviously not as like playing Dublin and Croke Park, but it's a it's a very competitive level down here. And and it would have just given him an opportunity to to really just kind of get his mind back into okay, how can I get the most out of my new body right now? Because he's definitely not as as quick as he was. That's and that's a that's that's a glaring fact. But. Is it so, is he a guy that can could contribute in the championship to Kerry? Absolutely, in my opinion, he he, he completely could. He could have contributed in the All Ireland final last year when it was crying out for him. Um, 
but you know, like I said, I I, I don't I wouldn't undervalue the, the the absolute mental fatigue that this kind of a situation brings on a guy, especially a guy like Tommy who was at the top of his game in 2009, an absolute superstar in Gaelic football, followed a dream to Australia, which you couldn't begrudge a guy to do, got his body broken with a with a bad hammer injury, and he comes back now and he's a kind of a you know, he's just, he's, he's, a, he's a nothing kind of member of the squad, really. You know, he's getting a couple of minutes here and there, nothing. Uh, didn't play in a semi-final, didn't play in the league final. And, you know, it's just, it's it's really, really draining on him. And, he, and, and, and his thinking, I'm sure, is probably, look, just get back, play some football with the club. Like, I, I wouldn't be drawing a line under Tommy Welch saying he doesn't play with Kerry ever again. You know, pr- probably this season you're not going to see him again. But, you know, games with the club is, is going to bring this guy, you know, bring him on a pile and just give him that, that feel good for GA again. And, and like, like when I when I say that you know that that maybe that that extra explosive yard is gone, he's still as quick as Donahue. You know, he's still as quick as as Johnny Buckley. He's still as quick as you know. He like he, he he's not he's he's not gonna be Hal Quirk slow. He's still he, he can still run, <laughs> but he he's just not that. You know, he he may not be as electric as he was in 2009. You know, so but that's my point about kind of playing games. I just think, you know, he's he's grown up. Being able to just power past guys and blow by him with that explosiveness, he he just needs to play games to actually just adapt to. Not, maybe I can't get past the guy, so maybe I got to do something a little different. You, you know, and I, I I just think, you know, he he needs that. He just needs to get back to enjoying the game. Stop feeling like it's a pressure, like it's a chore, like it's everybody's. You know, he's looking at him, kind of going, "Why is Tommy Welch not playing? I mean, he's asked to come back from Australia. He's supposed to be a superstar, and he's down here 26. He's not getting any game time. Like that just is a, it is a really negative kind of feel on you, you know. And and I just think that that like you talk about Murph, that that invigoration of playing with the club, that feel good stuff. Like he's going to be the man playing with the club. He's going to be kicking scores. Everybody's going to be loving him. And it's going to be a completely opposite environment to where he was with Kerry, where he's coming down the road after being in Monaghan or someplace and, and like still have to get no ticks on the clock. You know, it's it's just it's tough to be there in that scenario when, when you're not when you're not enjoying the actual game. When Ty Canelli came back, if I, if I remember right, Ty Ty Canelli's body had been beaten around quite a bit by that stage as well. And you know, he came back, he managed to adapt, um then maybe that was an all time great Kerry team. Maybe maybe it was easier to adapt it in that side. But he got his All-Ireland and went off back to Australia. Did Canelli maybe make it look e- easier than it actually is, the, w- the way he did it? Yeah, you know what? And and, and maybe the point Murph made earlier about, about Danny hanging in there. Tyg actually, you know, I know it finished in, in, in the in the nicest possible way. He wasn't great at the start, Cork though. Yeah. Final. He, had a, he had a very average year. Yeah. You know, if you if you actually look at him, I mean... We played we played Antrim in in the in the qualifier before we played Dublin quarterfinal, and he was taken off after about you know I don't know was it at half time or something he was catastrophic he looked like a guy who had never before seen a ball, you know and and he had he had far more bad games than he actually had good games and then he got to the Ireland final and and, and that's again, all I remember that's all people like me <laughs> yeah. remember I just remember him busting lads yeah. and scoring points. Yeah, I mean he he was he was he played centre forward that day, and and Canty was on him, and he absolutely ran him ragged for for fifty or sixty minutes, and had a huge game, and 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 people were raving about him. But if you actually looked at the rest of the season, you know he he didn't have a great game, and and the talk again was he he was just adapting, 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 getting used to the ball, getting used to the game. Like you can't underestimate how how different the game it is from from Aussie rules, obviously, and how how just the pace of it is is completely different. And you know to judge the flight of the ball, all that kind of stuff. Like honestly, God, Tig was above. I remember that. I'll never forget that day in Antrim. We were looking at each other as uh, you know, and, and Tig was was like a guy who honestly he was like an under six. He couldn't catch a ball. He couldn't hand pass the ball. He was like, you know, just a guy who'd never seen the game before. Um, and then just by hanging in there and working at it, then you know he he obviously got his rewards in the final, and we all got our rewards. But um, yeah, look, it's just it's disappointing, you know, it's disappointing. Everybody expected the Ty Canelli return for Tommy, and for it to be a success, and for him to add hugely to the carry setup, and to add to the athleticism, and to add to the running power and all that kind of stuff that we need against the likes of Dublin. But um, it just it hasn't worked out for now, anyway. Not for now. All right, Miguel Quirk, great to talk to you. Thanks, Minion. No bother. And he is my second captain. Second captain,
is there a case you made here that Eamon Fitzmaurice hasn't handled this particularly well, that he, he hasn't found a way... Well, well t- two issues here. He hasn't found a way to use what he has with Tommy Walsh, as in Tommy Walsh with his, the football levels and the physical yeah. levels as they are at the moment. Even at the, even with those limitations as described by um, by Neil Cork there, that even then he, he hasn't found a way to give him some game time maybe even the All-Ireland final last year not just give him some game time sorry use him as a as, mm. as a positive influence in the team off the bench in some cases and secondly that he didn't say to him in late 2014 listen just go back to your club as Mike suggests just go back to your club we'll see you in May Hope, mm. you know it's literally you're a totally different case to everything else it, it, would, you, would, would it be on Fitzmaurice there I'm mean, being a little bit harsh uh, yeah, I mean I don't. I, I. I. don't think there's much of a scene in Kerry for giving a guy. I know. I know what you're saying. Like throw him into a couple of league games and let him play seventy minutes. I don't know. If there's a whole lot of leeway for that. But certainly, what you're talking about there, when he comes back, he should have played. He should have played ten games between January first, twenty fifteen, and uh, you know the end of April. Yeah, that was me. Hospital. Yeah, Just play football. Like I. I think. You can overthink these things, and your point about it being right. There's only one way to prepare a Gaelic football team, and it's the right way for everyone involved in that Gaelic football team. I mean, this is obviously an entirely different case to any like any other case that he will be presented to Eamon Fitzmaurice as a manager or any other manager in a lot of ways. Kieran McDonald told us on TV. Do you remember he, he was being asked by managers to do gym work? Yeah. To, to to join the teammates, his teammates in the gym, Kieran <laughs> McDonald. Like, what good is a gym going to do? The guy's a brick. You know, yeah, it, it's it, but it's, it's just a case. of I mean, he works in physical, in a physically hugely physically physically demanding job, uh, and yet you know there were times where he was it's certainly just a, there's a box ticking element. There's a box exam, I think, to management sometimes, and you can also understand it. You can understand that you want everyone together, and maybe that is changing because you know certainly late you, know, you would think that there are some t- tailored programs, but I would I would say that's the kind of thing that. Football could maybe uh, yeah, learn a little bit more on. And, you know, it, maybe when when it comes to Tommy Walsh, there is an element of him coming back and we're talking about the hoopla that we were talking about just there, that everyone is to- was talking about Tommy Walsh at that at that time. Maybe Fitzmaurice is anxious to make a point to the other members of his squad that he's not going to get treated, he's not going to get any superstar treatment. At the end of the day, you know, if it makes sense for Tommy Walsh, it shouldn't matter what the other players in the squad think if, if it if it's the best thing to get this brilliant athlete you know right where you need him for the championship I think you kind of do that and if someone has a problem with it well they're just going to have to get over it coincidentally I happened to watch my first game of Australian Reels football in years the other day just happened to be on and uh, had a look atmosphere looked good mm-hmm. oh, that's often what draws me in when I'm watching sporting I was like yeah the fans are going crazy here I'll watch this for a while and uh, you know it was entertaining and all that but you know the way in Australia in their sports media tends to push the boundaries of access, mm-hmm. they've all, the the stuff we talk we see now with cameras in dressing rooms and uh, cricketers mic'd up yeah. as they're actually playing matches, all this sort of stuff. Australia often seem to be at the front of that. I don't know if it's something about the the people in Australia to kind of demand that sort of access, but that's the way it goes. Anyway, I was watching the match halftime. The analysis comes on. I was kind of walking around, not really paying much attention. Then I was like, hang on a second, the presenters are in the home dressing room. They're in the Port Adelaide dressing room, like a foot away from the team. And the Port Adelaide had had a been seriously beaten down the week before, lost by seventy points or whatever. Mm. Had been eviscerated by their own president live on TV. For some reason, the president of the club was doing analysis and was saying these guys are shite. You know, yeah, like yeah. really destroying them. Then they'd come out in the first quarter of this game against Geelong, one of the stronger teams, and had gone twenty five points ahead or something like that early on, but had been reeled in and trailed mm. by a lot at half time. So it's not a it's a place where there are certain conversations that need to be had. And the two boys are all sort of talking. <laughs> what do you think happened to them in the second quarter? I don't know. Just big, big whatever his name is, just didn't quite get his like, hands are, on enough footy, you know. Are they, so they're Crazy. they're in the main dressing, like they're, they're not in the, the showers. Room. No, they're like in the dressing room. They're they're large dressing rooms in yeah, Australia. Yeah, they, yeah. they look a lot like, um, well, Murphy, you know, the sort of warm up area in Croke Park. Yeah, yeah, quite yeah. quite sparse, but big. If yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so there's an, but they're there, you know, and they're speaking low enough that they. The conversation can be heard, and they're looking. Like, oh yeah, there's such and such a player being, you know, told so, mm. whatever he might be being told. It was like it was weird. It was actually a little bit <laughs> creepy. Do you think there's a? Do you think that would work in the Premier League? No, <laughs> I don't. Uh, I mean, I suppose cards would be up for it. Yeah, maybe cards because you could get to see more of of what he does. But I don't know. Uh, it just seems sounds like an awkward situation for everybody. 
yeah, yeah. Like presenters and uh, I like mean, the dressing- second the manager is saying, "Well, I better not say that." There's a TV studio in our dressing room. Surely that means right. This is the end of the experiment. You guys are going to have to leave because I'm. I was just about to say something there, and then I decided, wait, I don't want this broadcast to the nation. Yeah, so I mean, I, 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 yeah, I should say you, you can't actually hear like there, there's enough. The, the production qualities are high enough that you can't actually hear what's being said but if, if there was roaring going on I'm sure you would yeah. whatever microphones they have whatever systems they have you're not actually hearing but you're very much seeing all the remonstrations and you, you know, you're you're in, you're in amongst it I'd, I'd say dressing room video pixelated video and audio fine actually studio in dressing room no <laughs> a bit too much it's, it's just inhibiting for everybody you're not going to really get what you're looking for I'd be in favour of bugging the dressing room and, and basically recording everything that happens in there every well, single but thing. of course without without the manager or the player's knowledge because then you'd actually get real truth well no they would not They would obviously have to know listen you signed the broadcasting contract right? Yeah. well your players union did whatever and after, the, after the first week they'd have to know but they'd immediately forget about it hmm. you know they and they'd just start acting as normal and then that's when you could start editing together to create a memorable highlights reel of what had actually happened in there. But when everyone's in there sort of cramping up in each other's business, I don't know if that's well, in fairness, the kind Port- of content we want to, uh, to yeah. get. Port Adelaide came out in the second half and came back for a, a thrilling victory. Oh, okay. No, they didn't. They got beaten okay. by 70 points. <laughs> so it didn't quite work out for them. The Irish Times Second Captain's Football Podcast is ready for you to listen to. That's... Yeah. <laughs> they have asked for that, really. France are going to the World Cup. Get over it. This fellow Ronaldo is a cod. Boom, 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 foul. Boom, 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 yellow card. Nah, it's actually a cod. I have to use mindy language. And I suggest you shut up and show more football. Good lad. I don't draw teacups. It's not my style. I think I'd rather throw punches. What you doing down here, you shorty man? <laughs> so we'll talk to Jonathan Wilson about the Champions League semi-finals. So we also talked to James Megan, who is a barrister who is representing 77 of the Hillsborough families uh, over the two-year inquest which has just concluded this week um we'll talk to him about that verdict uh, how it happened and maybe what it means yeah no really good chat with with james the big interprovincial game in the pro 12 this weekend is at the kingspan stadium in belfast ulster in fourth scrapping for a place in the playoffs against top of the table leinster i popped along to the bridge bar and balls bridge to talk rugby with two large gentlemen shane horgan and stephen ferris that guy Lads, thanks for uh, chatting away here. Stephen, can I ask you, first of all, Ulster against Leinster at Ravenhill, as it was then, was it uh, Was it one you look forward to? Yeah, it was. Funny enough, um, I never beat Leinster at Ravenhill back in the day. Uh, a couple of draws there, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, we were pounding the line a few times in the, in the absolute piss and rain, and it was uh, you know, wet and windy and freezing cold. Um, I remember Leinster holding us out for about 10 or 15 minutes towards the end. I think it was 12-all or 9-all or something like that. Um, so yeah, never beat Leinster uh, at, at home. I think it's going to be tough, but I think the, the tide has turned slightly. Uh, Ulster seemed to perform quite well against Leinster at home um, in recent years, and hopefully they will do again on, on Saturday. Although Leinster want to try and secure a, a home semi final, um, and Ulster want to try and secure a top four place, so it's going to be a very intriguing game. Um, you know, I, I do honestly believe that Ulster are going to win this match. Um, because you know it's a cup final for them. You're pumping your fist there, Shane. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, uh, my memories of Ulster or Ravenhill are you know they're not they're not all all delightful. But every time we played them, we seemed to be around Christmas. So you're leaving <laughs> your house on the 26th or 27th of December to travel up. Normally that was it was the way fixture as well around then to travel up to Ravenhill, and uh, you knew you were in for a tough time. And actually, the start of my career, we uh, hadn't beaten. Uh, Ulster for a long time and Leinster hadn't beaten them it was, something, it was an extraordinary period of time uh, in Ravenhill and then you said I remember those games I don't know if they ever got quite up to 12-12 I think it was more like 3-3 <laughs> three, three and 6-6 six, six. Um, and you know, my abiding memory is um, having having 13 or 14 players in, in a couple of those rooks from both sides yeah. and standing out panicked on the wing that uh, if anything happened I, I didn't want to be in a foot race with anyone but uh, it was they generally were all pretty bad weather and they were ground out and there was never much in it and I think we did come out on top but I think the, the balance recently has been has evened out a little bit it does seem to have I mean do Ulster still look at this as a chance for them to beat the team that's that's been the best team in Ireland for a number of years or is that a little patronising towards Ulster do, do, would you guys consider yourselves now the strongest province um, I think the lads know deep down that if they play to the best of their ability that they, they can beat Leinster 
um, but I'm sure in the Leinster dressing room they'll feel exactly the same. So um, it probably is a little bit patronising, but at the same time, you know, three or four years ago you could easily have said that, but the way Ulster have played in Europe over the last number of years, um, unfortunately not this year, but you know they've they got to a quarter final for four years in a row in, in the European Cup. Um, you know they've been in finals. Probably what I would say about Ulster is we're the underachievers. We have been there, thereabouts. You know, we got a hiding in the in the final in 2012 at Twickenham. Um, we got beaten in the RDS in the final, and we're always there, thereabouts. But just can't get over the line. And I think you know, once we get that monkey off our back, then hopefully, um, we'll we'll go on and win a lot more trophies. Like we haven't won a trophy since 2006 when we won the Celtic League, mm. when David Humphreys knocked a drop goal over against Ospreys away. So. It's a long time. Um, I know the boys are very, very hungry, and you know they're really looking forward to this game. Um, and yeah, we're sitting looking out here at the weather. Hopefully, the weather holds up on Saturday because it, it can it can be pretty bad up at Ravenhall at times. Yeah, it's not looking great here at the moment uh, in in Dublin Four anyway. But Shane, the, uh, I saw Les Kiss talking ahead of this one about Paddy Jackson, um, really praising him, talking about him as a general, someone who's played exceptionally well so far this year. Jackson's twenty four now. Um, is this the kind of game that he has to really grab by the scruff of the neck as we've seen the likes of Ian Keatley and other out halves never really doing it like never really getting there does Jackson have to show look I'm up against Johnny Sexton here I'm going to rule this game and show who's going to be the top guy for the next few years I think it's it's, it's difficult for one player to, to rule a game but it's, it depends on sort of what possession he gets I think uh, Paddy is it's very comfortable with uh, a dominant pack like most 10s mm. uh, I think he's developed his game a little bit more uh, that he isn't relying on a dominant um, pack performance from Ulster, uh, which is important because your pack's not always going to dominate. So he has to be able to take, you know, get that kicking game going, uh, be able to take a bit of pressure off the forwards, and he hasn't always done that. But I think he certainly has in the last year. Um, he has progressed his game a little bit, probably not to the to the uh, position where he'd like it to be. I think he is certainly getting to that age and that time of his career that he has to start delivering and like you know like all players and like all teams there's a certain leeway you're given to develop and um and um you're you're sort of looked at as uh, as the next big thing yeah. but at some point you got to actually be the next big thing and deliver and that's consistently delivering in the pressure games against the biggest teams and you know Leinster are top of the league so this is one of the biggest teams is in a provincial so it's one of the biggest games and it's as Stephen said there it's a knockout game pretty much uh, for Ulster because if they don't win it it's going to be very difficult for them to qualify the top four so it is all the hallmarks of you know, needing a huge performance from a 10 uh, he'll want his forwards and the rest of the team to help him out but in, the, in, in his capacity and what he can do it really is an important game for him to deliver, especially as well with a South African tour coming as well. Uh, he'll want some game time on that. It strikes me that he's a player who is maybe not quite as highly rated nationally, I mean, by supporters, as he is in Ulster. I don't know if that's something that you've picked up, Stephen. Obviously, you know the guy a lot better than us, but it's, it's like I'm talking about the, his coach or his director of rugby now, talking about talking him up ahead of this game. Yeah. And maybe fans of the national team haven't quite seen it yet. I think the reason being is because <clears throat> he's had to sit in behind one of the best hands in the world, and Johnny Sexton, and you know he's not getting the game time uh, internationally. So, you know, the Irish fans can't really see what he's capable of. Um, and when he did get a couple of games for Ireland, you know, a couple of years ago, and when, when we get beaten away, uh, you know, in Italy and, and that kind of thing, you know, we weren't playing that good a rugby. I'd really like to see him have two or three games in a row playing under Joe Smith. Uh, and, and seeing what he's capable of but I, I love the way he's playing at the minute he's taking the ball to the line he's got Stuart McCluskey and, he, uh, and Luke Marshall outside him who are massive men and he's got a world class nine inside him and when Ruan Pinar plays well Paddy Jackson plays very well when Ruan Pinar's off his game slightly it tends to hamper Paddy a little bit so um, the nine and ten axes on, on Saturday I think it's going to be, be vital for us I, I think that dynamic actually has changed a little bit in the last 12 months where I thought um Paddy Jackson was you know, really reliant on PNR uh, for the first couple of years that he came into the OCT. And it was quite unhealthy. It was too much of, as good as uh, PNR is, there was actually too much on his shoulders. So if he was injured or if he had to go off or anything happened to him, or maybe he wasn't even having a, good get, a great game, but that didn't happen very often. But if that was the case, then the balance of the team 
um, didn't look quite right, especially with the kicking uh, element. Yeah. Um, and I think that just has changed, and it's important for Ulster as well because what you've now is you've got two threats uh, from the half back, and you've got two guys who manage the game a little bit better. Ulster have, I mentioned Les Kiss earlier on, they've obviously got this structure in place similar to what Munster are going to put in from next season. There's been a lot of talk about that this week. <coughs> How successfully does it work, do you know, between the coach and director of rugby at Ulster? How's that going for them? I think it's going well. Um, you know, David Humphreys, when he was director of rugby at Ulster, had no influence at all on team selection, coaching, anything like that. And he sat in the background, a bit like where Bryn Cunningham is now with Ulster, uh, in terms of the management of all the off-field and, you know, helping sponsorship and everything else. And he's now moved on, but Les Kiss is you know very very hands on and you know takes a lot of the coaching a bit like Joe Smith the way um, he does with Ireland he's involved in the defence and he wants to run everything and uh, takes all the team meetings and, and everything else but I think he's got you know Neil Doak there who uh, has served his time and uh, you know he's a well respected coach and you know I think they've got the balance just right and when you respect the coach I think that goes a long way and and previous years uh, we maybe had coaches in place that, that we didn't respect and, and, and you know they, they moved on but uh, it's in a good place I think <laughs> talking to a few of the South African boys about uh, the appointment of is it Ra- Ra- Razi or Razi yeah, yeah Razi um, sitting with his flags blue and red <laughs> uh, you know the years ago when you know if it was a, a move he put up a red flag and he was sitting in the stands doing all crazy stuff so talking to the South African boys he want it's his way or the highway, um, so it'll be very interesting to see how that sits with uh, the other monster coaches in the, in, the, in the next year in the coming years. Shane, you're not convinced it'll sit too well with those other coaches. <laughs> well, you know, from the initial press conference, um, I don't think it, it's it, you know it's bizarre, really. It was, yeah, and, and Anthony didn't sound too enthusiastic no. about it. Um, <clears throat> I don't know if if um, if they hadn't have offered Anthony the contract um, before disappointment whether they would have kept on we kept him on I don't I don't see it being successful um, working as a, as a team to be honest with you I think it's a, a very difficult position that Anthony finds himself in now um, but it's not his fault he finds himself in that position and nor is it Razi Erasmus's fault that he's been parachuted in um, I'd be interested um, to see. So, so it's the fault of Munster, Gareth Fitzgerald, and the people in charge there. Yeah, I think it is. Yeah, I think it's. It's. I think they probably um, offered the con- contract um, to Anthony a little bit prematurely. Uh, I don't think if they had a, a plan fully in place, if they realised that they wanted this director of rugby role now, so they sort of fudged it. Um, now I think the director of rugby role. Um, is I, I like that structure actually. I think it's, it's a good one, but not when you've already had a, a head coach who has had responsibility for for pretty much everything on the pitch. Um, and I don't think um, I, I, when you when you parachute someone in over the top of that, I think it's very difficult. I think players are going to be affected by it. You don't know who the boss is. There's a little bit of respect lost for you know for the coach that you're working with already because you know that the powers that be have said well actually we need someone in over above this so and it and it's pretty tough on Anthony Foley given his position in Munster rugby as well I'd say it's a pretty uh, bitter uh, pill to swallow um, because he's betwixt and between so you know and as you said there Stephen there's the, the type of man that Razi Erasmus is and the reputation that he brings he sounds like he's a pretty uncompromising character and um, I think that's going that spells for me difficulties pretty quickly in the relationship. I think as well, <coughs> you know, next season if Munster have two or three defeats in a row and the crowd and Irish rugby are getting getting on Munster's back, then the first person that's going to go is Anthony Foley. You know, um, he's already in that kind of position now where things are slightly up in the air. Um, and again, it's not his fault, but you know, for me. For me, it's hard. It's hard to say, but for me, the writing's on the wall at some stage, um, and you know, hopefully that doesn't happen because you know I've worked under Anthony Foley with the Irish team in Declan Kidney, and you know he brings a lot to the table. But uh, it's it's professional rugby, and you just don't don't know what's around the corner. Yeah, I actually felt sorry for Anthony Foley uh, having to be in that position, and it's, I don't think Foley strikes me as the kind of guy who would like sympathy from anybody. You know, he's just in that strange sort of position. No, I, I agree. You know, I think he's in a really really tricky position, and Munster have put him in that position, and um, I. 
it's not going to work. I really don't think it's going to work. Um, and I don't see how it can. I hope it does. Um, but I think it's really unlikely. And as Stephen said there, um, you know, he's going to be the one who pays the, the, the penalty if things don't get off to a, a pretty strong start straight away. Give us a prediction for Saturday then. Um, I, I don't think either side have been playing at the top of their game for quite a while. But that could be said about almost every team in the league <laughs> for the last one. So I, I do think uh, it's uh, the loss of, of Nick Williams might be pivotal. I think you know, knowing that he's if he was in, I, I, I think I might go with uh, Ulster. And even still, I think it'll be super tight. Ulster do um, need it more, um, and for that reason, I would almost tip them. But I just think maybe a little bit more direction from from Sexton at ten. Um, Leinster have their biggest calibre guns out um, I think maybe maybe a score for Leinster Stephen despite sitting literally about 50 yards away from the RDS here <laughs> in the heartland of, of Leinster rugby oh, Shaggy never takes that Leinster cap off <laughs> <laughs> and every time um, you're sticking with Ulster but, but I do agree with Shane you know we just don't have ball carriers um, and Leinster do like we really struggle in the pack you know you, Chris Henry isn't a great ball carrier um, you know Roger Wilson isn't the, the man he was at Northampton ball carrying you know Robbie Diak or whoever's going to play at six you know if it's uh, Ian Henderson has to get through so much work and you know two second rows and Franco van der Merwe who doesn't carry well you know Peter Brown who probably started this weekend who's been probably the, the pick of the bunch over the last couple of weeks of carrying ball he's okay and then you have the whole of the front row who's not great at carrying the ball so it's for me you know um, missing Nick Williams is, is massive and with, if, if we didn't have Stuart McCluskey or, or Luke Marshall to get across the game line I think we would be in serious trouble but in saying that I think Ulster wanted that little bit more and um, we're at home but um Never really Leinster right. We've broken on party lines, would you believe? <laughs> yeah, just about, although you, you stayed strong, Stephen. I thought you were going to waver there at the end. Listen, Stephen Ferris, Shane Horgan, thanks a minute. Thank you. Thanks. Shane Horgan and Stephen Ferris there chatting to me at the launch of the Heineken Rugby Club. You can check out heinekenrugbyclub.com for details on that. What are you laughing at? You can't see the size difference I when know, you're here. I know. Just at the end of the interview, just to hear them patting you on the head. Just that, that, sorry, that's just, that was just a mental image that popped into my head. It popped out just as quick. I, I should say, there was a bit of posing for photographs and this kind of thing, and Shane Horgan was hugely see big men do notice this in other big mm. men Shane Horgan was very complimentary to Stephen Ferris on his physical appearance yeah yeah it's not like Shane is withered away to nothing no no now. but he's making the point uh, it's just uh, you know you've really you've, you mm. haven't exactly lost it, the shape there if anything there's a lot of gains and then Stephen Ferris was all coy saying oh well no you know I'm just doing my best to stay, stay in decent nick and, no, uh, no. Then the two of them started flexing. No, they didn't start flexing <laughs> that would have been a little bit weird uh, Murph would have been weird if you Joy did I want to talk about one more story at the maybe sporting. Clare Waterford, yeah, Sunday, yeah. yeah. Uh, we'll Temple Stadium. We'll be having a big chat about that early next week. Yeah, um, and it's it's kind of well, obviously it's a very not any. I was going to say it's a novel pairing. Any uh, hurling national final that doesn't feature Kilkenny is now a novel pairing. Uh, so we should all be thankful that Kilkenny aren't there uh, because Clare uh, hammered them in the semi final, um, and it it's. If you look at the two teams, it really strikes us that the average age of intercounty players, I think in hurling even more so than in football now, the age just keeps tumbling and tumbling and tumbling. Like Waterford's best players this year, probably been Austin Gleeson, Shane Bennett, Patrick Hearn, all 20 years old. Centre-back, centre-forward, corner-forward. Um, like Bennett and Patrick Hearn have scored 250 between them in the league. And they're very quickly becoming the cornerstones of the team you look at the clear team now and it's like oh well these guys haven't even been under 21 for two whole years uh, the, you know the, you're, you're kind of the old gives way to the new and you're looking at these grizzled 23 year old veterans for Clare saying that oh you know the, the Waterford age profile is exactly what you need now and it, it does kind of seem that um, that it once you're out of minor pretty much straight away you're you're being asked to not just make these teams, but actually take on leadership roles within these teams. I mean, Austin Gleeson, I mean, I actually had to check that he is actually still only 20. Um, like, this, I think, is his third season. He's, he's only 20? Yeah. Ah, come on. Yeah, I know. It's 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 bizarre. Is he, is he already one of the players that you know this is going to keep happening with every year? You yeah. Go, Austin yeah. Gleeson's still only 
22. And yeah, Joe Canning's still only 23 years old. No, he is. I think he's a bit older than that. But uh, no, it is. It, it, like, it is it's, it's pretty strange to look at these two teams and just say, wow, it's not just they're good young players. It's their best players, their strongest, biggest leaders are all really, really young. I, I, it's, it's an interesting game as well in that they're playing, obviously, in the Munster Championship in five weeks' time. But the more I've kind of talked to people in both counties over the last couple of weeks, it is kind of quite clear that here are two counties that don't win enough national titles to yeah. to uh, throw the, you know just cast this one aside and say we'll keep whatever we have uh, in cold storage for the Munster Championship. I do kind of get the impression that they're very closely matched. Both teams are very very closely matched, and if whichever whichever way it breaks. But both, both teams will, there's a very strong argument to be made that they'll win one each and that they're not in the business of choosing which one is the one they're going to go for um, so it, it's it's very very interesting I, obviously the Waterford system is such that maybe you might think you don't want to give your opposition too many chances to play against you when you have a very specific defensive structure in place mm-hmm. but I really think Waterford are going to go for this 100% I th- I, and I think Clare will as well and the kind of the repercussions for the Munster Championship game, I think both teams will worry about that on Monday morning. Yeah, but let's go because the football final wasn't great. No, I mean, it, wasn't. it wasn't great. It had flashes, a uh, few nice, few ridiculous touches from Colm Cooper, which as I was watching, I was thinking, oh, great, we're going to talk loads about Colm Cooper on Monday. And then it didn't really happen the way he was. There was a dummy solo, there was a diving hand pass, kind of caught a ball and hand passed it as he was diving mm. while also losing a boot, I think. Somebody's boot went off in this dive anyway. So, but that was, there, there were. They were few and far between those highlights. So hopefully the... Uh, yeah, and you can probably expect... I mean, if you're talking about uh, 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 crowds attracting you to sporting events, I would say that there will be a pretty big crowd at this. Yep. I mean, maybe, you know, if north of 20,000. To go with the 80,000 that went to Crow Park last Sunday, hmm. regardless of uh, the other attractions on show, 100,000 people at the two National League finals. And, we'll, you know, the GA will definitely get 20,000 at this game. That's pretty good going. That's pretty much it. Why don't you do us a favour and rate the show on iTunes. The Castro Giovanni story, the Tommy Walsh chat, Ferris and Horgan, the latest developments in sports broadcasting in Australia. What's not to like about this podcast? <laughs> Go on there, rate it highly on iTunes and I don't know, that, that people tell me to do this. I don't know what yeah. it does. You're a, great li- you're a great little fellow. Well thanks, played. guys. Thanks. Thanks, thanks, big man. Thanks, thanks big man. Thanks, Ken. Cheers, guys. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.